What's the crack? Welcome back to the Irish Voice podcast and another edition of Family Therapy. This week we're going to go through just everything that came out of Ayrton Hag's press conference really. What was said, what was asked, what our thoughts and feelings are about it and then a look ahead obviously to the Sheffield United game with a bit of optimism towards maybe getting a victory, a convincing victory I think is what we're all after. How are you? I'm grand. Hello everyone. Friday again. Thank God. Yeah, the eve of another Manchester United Back to normal after all the internationals. And the ball that has come out about the the takeover. I know we went into it in the last one, but it's just it seems to dominate every news article. Everywhere I click onto, if Manchester United are mentioned, our game tomorrow seems to have been forgotten about in the wake of who's taken over the club. It's overshadowed everything. It must be yeah. really disheartening for Ayrton Hag and those players to constantly have to deal with this, though there always seems to be the shadow of something lurking in the background when they come up to a football match. But I think this takeover is the most clickbaitable story that there is for the journalists at present. Yeah, you've got the biggest club in the world going through what looks like a shaky, a piece of business that it's easy to punch holes in. The majority of the fan base is bitterly disappointed because it's not guitar. Yeah. Um, Jim Radcliffe is coming under awful, in my opinion, unnecessary criticism. Yeah, do you know, it, it just is what it is for the foreseeable, I think, with that situation. But, Ayrton had his press conference today, so had to fill a lot of questions. The first question was based around Jim Radcliffe, to which he just shut down again in typical Dutch Ten Hag fashion. He was right. Yeah, I think he was he right. He was right. He doesn't know anything about it, he's not talking about it yet. Do you think, though, that'll unsettle him as a manager, that that is going on in the background and the uncertainty around it? I think the only reason it would unsettle him is the transfer budget. I think everything else is just external noise. As far as he is concerned, he is solely there to deal with the team, primarily the first team. And I think the only thing that will concern Eric Ten Hag is a budget that's set for January, if there is any, and the summer budget. Yeah... I suppose getting a bit of clarity around what is going to happen with the football club would sort of open that conversation up in January. But if he doesn't know anything, he doesn't know anything. So a bit like Eric Ten Hag did, I'm going to push on then to the questions around the Sheffield United game. The first one that came up is the Jadon Sancho situation. What's your take on Jadon Sancho's Draw a line under that and move on. In the sense that you should forget that he exists? Yes. Or you would forget. Absolutely. He's not He's not coming back into the first team. I think the timescale now, it's too, it has dragged on too long. So any apology or so-called apology will be hollow. I think with the Jadon Sancho situation, I think it was timing more than anything else from Eric Ten Hag that, that Jadon Sancho has an issue with. Now, I do think that Sancho should have manned up by now and offered an apology because his behaviour was sort of unbecoming of a professional footballer. You can't do that. You can't be putting stuff reactionally out into social media, into that sort of stratosphere of public opinion and, and then come back from it. That's what social media is. It's knee-jerk. And it, it is. Was knee-jerk and, it, and whoever advised him, or maybe he didn't even take advice on that, but he needs to get better people around him. I don't think that was an advice post. It, it felt too raw. I think that was the honest opinion of Jadon Sancho, who got his phone out and turned around and said, you're bullying me. Now... Boo-hoo. Well, do you know, I do think Eric Ten Hag did a bit. I'm just going to put... I'm not going to sit in the fence with this one. I think that Eric Ten Hag should not have made the comments. If you look at the timeline for it, at the time that he did, following a defeat from Arsenal, when Jadon Sancho had nothing to do with the game... He's brilliant at shutting down the questions that he doesn't want to answer, but he wanted to answer that one. 
he wanted to put Jane Sancho I in the spotlight. I disagree with you because I think that the man is just frustrated with him at the minute. He did all that he could to get him through that spell, sent him away to Holland to get his head right, whatever it was at the time. And he was very supportive. And Jaden Sancho actually threw it back in his face with his late timekeeping and his lack of energy in training. And he actually came out and said that he couldn't overlook the like of Mesbury. And he mentioned three players who gave their all in that training session. And Jaden Sancho, in other words, half-assed it. But something that completely threw me is Jaden Sancho playing as a false nine in pre-season. Is this this was going to be some sort of revelation that came this season and then it never actually came? Even when Razzlis Hoiveland couldn't be on the pitch, he shoehorned Rashford into the forward position instead of playing Sancho. So I think he just doesn't know how or what way to get the best out of Jaden Sancho and it's just a match made in hell. I do think, I'm going to stick to my point, I think that he should not have come out after the Arsenal defeat when Jaden Sancho had nothing to do with the game and criticised Sancho. I think when he was asked the question on Sancho's absence, he could have brushed past it and then, you know, gone at it again at a later date. He could have addressed it in a different way, but he reacted because he was so annoyed at the Arsenal match. He reacted almost in bad temper to that question and hung Sancho out to right. Then Sancho reacts and turns around and says, hold on a minute, you're bullying me. I, I agree with this. you to a certain extent, but cast your mind back to Jesse Lingard and Ralph Ranić. When Ralph Ranić turned around and in a press conference and said Jesse Lingard wasn't available because he was injured, and Jesse Lingard being Jesse Lingard came out and said he wasn't injured in social exactly. media. But that's what I'm saying. You're... You're between the devil and the deep blue sea we're with the English media. So don't answer. But then that, that just leads on to more questions. But he's done it with other answers. I just think it is part frustration on his part. And another, part, another factor to take in is Eric Ten Hag did not buy Jaden Sancho. Jaden Sancho was that problem there before Eric Ten Hag came along. But I tell you two scenarios that I looked at. The Jaden Sancho scenario and the way that Eric Ten Hag handled that or chose to handle that and his comments when he said them. I don't think he did a lot wrong. I must say that. I don't think his words were enough for Jaden Sancho to react as petulantly as he did. But I think Sancho looked at it again in the timeline and looked and seen that it came after the Arsenal defeat. And it almost felt like Ten Hag, I think in Sancho's mind and heart, was saying, oh, well, we could have used you today, but you didn't hold the standards of the person. And Sancho went, it's not my fault that you guys got beat today. I wasn't, you didn't let me be part of the team. So take your Arsenal loss and dissect what you did yeah, wrong. Yeah, but he has to be held accountable for his timekeeping. A professional footballer turning up late for training is unacceptable. Was it timekeeping? I thought it was professional standards and his efforts. It, timekeeping as well. He's been accused of timekeeping in the past and I didn't know the timekeeping was an issue this time round. He has been accused of poor timekeeping and, and pure, real, real lack of commitment. Kind of one of those players that thinks... I've made it as a professional footballer and I'll kind of do what I want. But then the and wouldn't you at 22 negative. or t- whatever age he is? I don't agree with his um, his behaviours. I really don't. That's not what I'm saying. I just think that Ericsson Hag... And sorry, the second scenario that I was referring to is when Marcus Rashford had his, his lateness, Ericsson Hag shut that down straight away and said that was an eternal disciplinary decision. He didn't say the boy was late. He didn't turn around and say, oh, he has to hold himself to higher standards. He didn't treat him the same way that he treated Jadon Sancho. He was in a much better position at that point. Manchester United were coming into games, coming into a bit of form, and he handled it as would be expected. 
But I, my one criticism is that he reacted off the back of the Arsenal defeat and Could he have been landed a bit of Sancho. Both, yeah. And that's where I think Jadon Sancho is taking exception to it now and is looking at it and going, I'm not apologising because you did do wrong. You didn't do that to Rashford. You haven't done that to other players. You're not calling your goalkeeper out. You defended everybody else and I wasn't even part of your squad and still you seen fit to sink me. So no, no apology. And to that, I think, yeah, Jadon Sancho needs to go. I don't think it looks good on both parties, but I can't see where Jadon Sancho's coming from. Mm. Do you think he leaves in January? I think he'll go on loan in January. Nobody's going to come in and buy him in January. I think if he had it, he turned around and said to that, I think he said something along the lines of, I've said all I have to say on it. And I just looked at it in me and I thought, maybe I'm being passionate. Maybe it's just the, I don't know, younger male of me. But I looked at it and went, yeah, do you know what? You could have said that when you were first asked the question. Probably wouldn't have been in this situation. Probably could have said nothing and then took the lad to the side and turned around and gone, look. This is what it is, but I don't know. Maybe that's. Uh, but I think the, the the British media are like they're like a dog with a bone. Where the English players, where the British players are concerned, like he was badgered endlessly about the Harry Maguire situation. He was. And endlessly about Sancho now. And any time that a British player is dropped, it's what's the story here? And it it always is a bigger story than it is. 110%. But if you look at Harry Maguire and his performance in the last game, now it's only one game. I know that. I know that. But it was better than Victor Lindelof's been this season, in my opinion. Well, it was strong. It was I decisive. I disagree. No. Well, I have seen Victor Lindelof make one mistake every game that I have watched him in consistently. I'd be able to point them out if you give me the time to do it. His mistake How in every match. How many shots and goal had Brentford got in that match? No clue. One, I think. One. One. So, of course, Harry Maguire is going to look good in a match like that. But now, I can see Harry Maguire starting tomorrow's match. But if you took the average then, if we go for the statistical analysis of it, if you took the average of shots that Manchester United face when Victor Lindelof is in the team compared to Harry Maguire, who would have the higher average? I would argue that you face more shots with Lindelof because he's easier to go past. And that Maguire prevents less shots at Andre Onana because he's a stronger defender. You might not agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> he is divisive, but I think he's a better centre-back. It's not. It's my opinion that Lindelof is a better centre-back than Maguire, and you think Maguire is a better centre-back than Lindelof. Yeah. And we'll leave it at that. Fair enough. I totally do. I can't I can't ignore the defensive frailties of Victor Lindelof. I know I've gone Both have it. defensive frailties. They Both. do. Maguire is slow. But Maguire is... But you're playing Sheffield United tonight. Yeah. Who plays off front for Sheffield United? Oh, they are... Decimated at the minute with um, injuries. Um, I think Ryan Brewster is back. I, I don't know who the. Ollie McBurney, nearby Archer. So Ollie McBurney's not going to be busting a gut and beating people for pace. But I tell you what, he would do to Victor Lindelof. He'd bully him. I would bully Victor Lindelof. Yeah. But I still think he's a better defender than Harry Maguire. We can sit here and argue yeah. until we're blue <laughs> in the face in that one. I do. I have a. I just have a feeling that Harry Maguire starts more. But we'll get into who starts and who doesn't. Three injuries. So he was asked, you went into the international break on the back of a pretty memorable end into the game. Talk about the Brentford game. And does he think that he can use those last couple of minutes in the Brentford game to kickstart Manchester United's season? He answered, you can't restart, but what you can do and what you see is a strong dressing room. They are aligned, they are all on one page, they are so determined and willing to win games. That felt like a deflective answer to me as if 
I don't want to put pressure on tomorrow's match, more pressure on tomorrow's match than there is. So I'm not going to turn around and say that, yes, this does kickstart the season. What I'm going to say is, as any good manager does, we're one team oh my God. pulling together. It was together. like somebody reading from the cue card. Yeah. It definitely was. He didn't seem informed for this press conference at all, did he? No. There wasn't a whole lot of insight came out of this press conference. It was just kind of, it was the party line in but every it's answer. the regurgitation in the British media again. He knew he was going to ask about the takeover. He knew he was going to be asked about Sancho. Yeah, and there's a flippancy to that question where it's like, oh, you've been really poor this season, but you had a good couple of minutes in the last one. Do you think that's the kickstart to the season? Because yeah. if you say it is the kickstart and you can beat tomorrow, we'll tear you apart. Uh, and I think that's what he felt when that's... I think he's starting to get the measure of the English press. Yeah. Albeit, he could have been, I think, a bit more bullish there. But he he's can't... Dutch. Yeah. They're very direct. They're like the Germans. They're very direct. There's no flapping about. There's no hemming and hand with them. No. He could have just come out and said yes. Well, he could have, but he didn't. No, he didn't. Okay. <laughs> he said, Eric, this is the Andrew and Anna question. I think Andrew and Anna has been pulled apart on absolutely every yeah. podcast we've had. So and there's no point so, going into awful. it. Yeah. But what Tin Hag said is, we know and he knows he will do much better. Every player who comes into the Premier League needs an integration period, but he has to step up. But also, big keepers like Peter Schmeichel, David De Gea, also they started not too good. Which is true. I don't remember Peter Schmeichel started Manchester United. I just remember. Well, Gorillas. I should because I'm older, but I don't. Was Schmeichel Dodgy to start? Yeah, well, according to Eric Ten Hag, they all were. I told you that mantle of elevation to a team like Man United, especially if you're like goalkeepers are blamed on an awful lot. He should have saved it, could have saved it. I would have saved that. Yeah. So it's, and they're the last man. So it, it is an awful lot of pressure. Although he has played for a big team like Inter Milan, he's played for Ajax, he started off at Barcelona. It's huge coming to a club like Man United and the yeah. expectation. It is, Dante has started off really, really shaky. I can remember that. And you, you looked at him and you thought, he's too skinny. You know, he, he, he can't command... Well, he never could command the box. No, he couldn't. But what he that could do is stop the ball. Improve, yeah. It, but now, that's what we've discussed this before. Exceptional shot stopper. Brilliant. Best the in the best. world, in my opinion. On his day, he was the best in the world. And Andrew Onana is not. And I think if you look at Peter Schmeigel, from what I remember of Peter Schmeigel, David De Gea was absolutely exceptional at stopping the long-range shots. Where the mistakes came in was his reading of the ball in the box. He couldn't come out and collect the he ball. He was too so timid in the close box. Close range. Yes. He would have a few flaps and a few fluffs. Mm. Schmeichel was um, brilliant at both. Schmeichel was very, very good at commanding his area, coming for the ball, and also his reactions to those close-up saves. I think there's one I remember back with Peter Schmeichel against Rapid Vienna. And he got down. It was the second save. He saved the first one, palmed it out, and the striker had shot... And he somehow managed to get down, not yeah, just such touch a big the man. ball, but lift the ball over the crossbar yeah. from the floor. I just thought, that's amazing. Um, but I gave Ayrton Hag credit, fair enough. He's referencing two massive goalkeepers in yeah, United's huge, history there. huge. Probably the two best, as far back as I can remember. I don't ever see Andre Onana hitting that. I, I just don't think it's fair to put Andrew and Anna in the same bracket as those two goalkeepers because what they could do in the previous clubs and what they were bought on is the fact they could save the ball. 
Yeah, in this way count. I know what you're saying, but I will judge Onana when that back four is settled. And okay. when you can see his attributes of playing out from the back. Yeah, fair enough. Especially with, especially when you get Martinez back. And I know Martinez isn't back until January, I think. But um, I'll, I will, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt until then. Yeah. And then I'll judge him. So they moved on then and they asked the question that comes up every time that the lad plays or starts again. Harry Maguire is still the subject of booze and abuse. <laughs> As manager, how hard is that for you to take? He must be absolutely sick of that question. He basically went on to say that he hasn't heard the abuse and that Maguire does not deserve any of it. That his performance Which against Brentford was very, very good and he had a standout performance for England. I agree. Which I think is he true. was very yes. good against Italy as well. Very good. Italy didn't offer a whole lot in terms of an attacking sense. But then when he has to be strong and defend me, is, yeah. he's very hard to get around. As long as the opposition don't have pace or space, sorry, to run at him with pace, then he seems to do all right, Harry Maguire. Poor Harry. Like, the bottom line with Harry Maguire is people have an agenda against him. And it, it doesn't matter. They can't. They cannot be objective um, any time he has a decent game. Because they're always waiting for that moment of that, that mistake that's in him. He always looked like a duck out of water. But again, I said this in the last podcast, Manchester United fans apply rose-tinted glasses sometimes to the situations in front of them. Yes, Harry Maguire does come under abuse for valid reasons. There are things that he can and cannot do. He should not have been bought to sort out the Manchester United backline. It was a very, very poor decision. But the football club and the manager at the time made that decision. So to call that lad out and boo and abuse him, to me, is a wee bit wrong. You have to play a bit of realism to it and realise he shouldn't be on the pitch. No, but he should. But Harry Maguire, we've said it, it's different systems will suit different players and Harry Maguire excels in the counter-attacking when when you sit back and absorb that pressure and that but anyway he's not good in playing out from the back he's not good at reading the game at times no he's a very good defender if you sit deep if the team sits deep and hits on the counter which Manchester United are not going to do under Earth. No, Mark. this is it. But they were doing it under um, Solskjaer. Yeah. So we, I think he is being played out of necessity at the minute. Of course he is. But I said this before. In an ideal world, I don't think Harry Maguire or Victor Lindelof would have lasted the summer. I think if you had a free-spent owner, we would have seen ben- Benjamin Pavard come in. And I think they would have competed harder to have um, Dizazi sign for us instead of going I to I agree Chelsea. with you, yeah. Uh, or going oh, that, that Jean-Claire that Tadibo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think those two players would have potentially come in. One of the younger ones, and then the experience of Benjamin mm. Pavard, who I watched during international duty for France. And one of the rumours and stuff that came out was, oh, Pavard wants to play right back. He doesn't want to play centre-back, and that was his argument with Bayern Munich. But he played at centre-back for France, and he is a brilliantly classy, cultured centre-back. He has the pace where you cannot get around him. He's very good and very strong in the tackle, and his range of passing is amazing. Yeah, He would have definitely elevated Manchester United. I even argue that if Benjamin Pavard was fully fit, he would give Ferran a run for his money. We might have seen a Pavard-Martinez partnership come to fruition. Well, that could have been the thinking behind it as well. Yeah, because big... Yeah. Raphael Varane, a fully fit Raphael Varane, is still a brilliant... Rolls-Royce player. Oh, f- but it's, it's fully But the fit. body is not as no. willing as the mind is. And see, that this is why I think maybe Harry Maguire and Lindelof will start... Tomorrow, because we have Copenhagen next week and City. 
Yeah. You don't want to break them down before those games. Yeah, it's a run. It's a run. Uh, yeah, so the next question he had to face was Sheffield United are bottom of the Premier League table. This is setting them up for defeat here straight away. Sheffield United sit at the bottom of the Premier League table, but does a side who are so desperate for three points make them more dangerous tomorrow? He answered, every game is difficult. And as you've seen from the results, like against City and Spurs, there are very narrow wins in both. If you don't play your best football, you can have a problem. So it's up to us. Another party line answer. That is. Huge I mean, card. Yeah, it is. Yeah, he's not... It's very generic, isn't it? There's no yeah, point in the address, and that generic. one is very generic. Yeah. So, you know, they're currently fourth from bottom when it comes to your away record. Is there anything specifically you can put that down to, or how are you going about trying to rectify that? He said, We won our last away game. It is not about that, and you cannot figure out the past. You can also say last year we were third in the league and we won a cup and we were in another final. That is the past. We live in the future and we have to change the future. We have to take control of the future. It's a bit more passion in that one. Basically saying, look, I didn't do too badly last year, lads. So I know that's the past, but... But all all those questions are so negative, right? Would you say, in your opinion, that Liverpool are one of the favourites for the league? To win the league? No. Right, that just spoiled me. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not being bitter, I'll tell you why. (laughs) Sorry. I think Manchester City and Arsenal will be the two... Gaze at the top of the table. Sorry to oh, Okay, I'll rephrase that, right? right? Pundits have put Liverpool as one of the ones, one of the favourites to win the league. Okay. Okay? Man United are just five points behind Liverpool at the minute. There's oh, a I lot, see where you're going. Yeah, there's a lot of negativity. Um, oh, what are you going to do about this run? You know, the away form and, and all this... As I said, negativity. We're only five points behind Liverpool. You should have said, yeah, I think they're one of the ones that'll win the league. I really don't. But anyway. I'll tell you what, to go to your point, if we're not talking about pundits, I honestly think that Liverpool would be in the top four and United won't. Well, there's five points. Liverpool are fourth at the minute. Yeah. But that's the point I'm trying to make. We're only five points off that. Look, Liverpool... And everybody has wrote us off. Yes, I get that. And Liverpool fans are turning around and saying, oh, well, we made signings too. We had to rebuild too. Not to the scale that we did, lads. No, that's that's rubbish. Your front three has been established over it's a period of a couple team. of seasons. Yeah, Darwin Nunes came in last year. Jada, Diaz, Salah. You know, there's a, a chemistry being built up there that looks really potent at mm. the minute. Then you have the Liverpool back line. The Liverpool back line has been together years. Yeah. Years. Trent, Robertson, Van Dijk, Allison. All know each other inside That's out. That's my You point only rebuilt your midfield. Yes. Exactly. They're adding to an established team. Yeah. They're adding to it. We're building. Again. Totally. 110%. They brought in Endo, Savalese, Alexis McAllister. I'll give you that. That will take time and you're doing very, very well for a team that had to rebuild their midfield. But don't kid yourselves. We're going back to Mourinho's point about football and heritage and, you know, chemistry and cohesion. You've had seasons upon seasons to get your defence and attack right, lads. You're only rebuilding the midfield. Ericton Hag's building the team. Effectively a 1-11 to 11 that can coexist together. And let's not and get ourselves... And if we're only five points behind Jurgen you Jurgen Klopp is a good manager, but Jurgen Klopp has bought duds as well, who Hold didn't work man. out. As is Pep Guardiola. But like your point states, if we're only five points behind them, well then maybe it's not as damn good. No, it's not. If he can fumble his way through a few victories while that team tries to sort itself out and tries to find its flow. Get the injured players back. Yeah. Because Aaron Wambasaka 
and Luke Shaw apparently will be back either next week or shortly after that. Oh, two key players. That's huge. Two key players. That's season changing. Yeah, it that really is. is. I think we've really struggled at fullback at the minute. Brian is fit at the minute, but whether he play him tomorrow remains to be seen. I don't think Dallow should be in around the Manchester United team in, in the years to come. I think Dallow needs to be moved on. He's a really hard-working footballer. He's just not at the standard. Wan-Bissaka should be the backup right-back, but Wan-Bissaka is better than Dallow. But I don't defending, believe that, yeah. yeah. But I don't believe Wan-Bissaka is even good enough to start in a title-winning United team. So they need to bring in a, a new all-encompassing right-back and drop Wan-Bissaka to the, the backup, get rid of Dallow, and in left-back you could show him Malassia, which I think is fair enough. But when you have Shaw, Malassia and Wan-Bissaka all on the shelf, you can see how it looks. Yeah, it, It'll be a massive difference to get those two boys back fit in training and on the pitch. Yeah, so the next question he was asked, which is kind of a sad one, is in terms of Victor Lindelof, I just wonder how he was after the situation he experienced earlier in the week. That was horrendous. Mm-hmm. Horrendous and unnecessary in football and just... It's the way of the world though, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think it's the sort of podcast where you need to get into no. politics and conflict and terrorism and all that sort of crap. But for any football fan or footballer who had to experience that, Mark was out to them. really yeah. does. So I do hope he's all right. Uh, Bruno Fernandes has once again shown for Portugal during the European qualifiers the form which has revitalised the discussion that he seems a little lost at United lately as many see him as being the best number 10 around he has often been played in the right wing in the last few games would it be an option for you to swap the position of him and perhaps Mason Mount that's far away isn't it yeah and a question that a lot of United fans are asking as well so we'll just read the response here as a squad, and in periods during the season, you have to deal with certain situations, like injuries when we didn't have a left-back or a right-winger in the last few games. Bruno is a solution, as he is a very good right-winger as well, but he plays that position his way, and he has freedom there. He's playing there as not a typical right-winger, but he comes inside to play almost the number 10 role, so he finds a situation where he can give the key pass, the final pass, and score goals. That is always why you want to use a player like Bruno Fernandes because he is one of the players who creates the most chances in the games internationally too. You don't like him on the right wing, do you? I don't. I think he's more effective behind the forwards. I really do. I think he's more creative behind the forwards. But he plays there for his country and he plays very well for his country there. Yeah. I just think if you had Anthony up to speed or a right winger in that position and Bruno centrally for me that works better but yes he can play I agree with Eric Tanag he can play off the right but he's just not for me he's not as effective yeah I think I was one of the people that called for it to actually be given time the Bruno Fernandes off the right situation and then I seen the Brentford game and they were almost tripping over each other's feet yeah him and Mount and then Mount tried to come deeper into midfield, which upset the flow and passing of Amrabat. It's not working. Because Mount much. looked like a lad that was trying to find his position on the pitch, but other boys were playing his position for him. And Mount got a bit lost. Now I think Mount was quite good in the Brentford game. He was very industrious, and he was everything that I expected Mount to be. Energy, passing, a good runs. presser. Yeah, brilliant presser. But at times, I thought, Bruno needs to come out wide and give this lad some width, and Amrabat needs to back off and just hold midfield and stop coming so I far I think forward. that will happen tomorrow. That again is chemistry and cohesion. Yeah. But it's just interesting to hear Eric Ten Hag address it in a press conference, be asked it outright and turn around and say, no, I think Bruno can play on the right. Because I, I do think, and we spoke about this, that he will persist 
with a fully fit Casemiro, Casemiro Amrabat Mount burn on the right. Well, Casemiro's missing for tomorrow. Yeah. Which is a nice segue in then to who you think is going to play tomorrow. That was the press conference. So we said we talk about the match tomorrow. When it comes to team selections, you absolutely nailed this the last time. So I'm going to be a lot more pragmatic here because I don't want to get embarrassed again. <laughs> I did guess Harry Maguire. I'll give you that. Yeah, I did. I told you Harry Maguire would start. But I never pictured Victor Lindelof playing it right back. Which didn't work out too badly, if I'm being honest. But Right, your goalkeeper. Onana has to start. Onana will start, but yeah. shouldn't start. Okay. I said this the last time. Onana will start, but he shouldn't start. It should be by Ender. But I'll painfully admit that Onana's going to get a start. And if he makes another mistake, I swear to fuck, I want the lad gone. Don't Honestly, I want him... Don't think that's happening, Rory, anytime soon. Not gone in the sense that I want him out of the club. That would be way too reactionist. I mean, I want you him want gone dropped. out of the team. I want him dropped. I want him sat on the bench to let Bayander come in and feel his way out. Right. Left back. Oh, Regulon's fit. Fully fit? Yeah. Oh, thank the God. Yeah, he's fit, so we'll stick him in. Oh, 110%. If he's fully fit, he plays. Yeah. Out of necessity, because I don't think Dallow looks particularly confident on the right-hand side. Dallow is brilliant at bursting forward and providing width at right-back, because, you know, he's he's able to get beyond it. Victor Lindelof, when he played that left-back in the last one to allow Dallow to come out in the right, he had the same. He looked so unsure of his left foot. Yeah. So, Rahelion, who is playing left side of centre-back? Harry Maguire. Yeah, I think so. It's too. either Harry Maguire or um, Johnny Evans. Maguire. I'm going Maguire. Yeah, Maguire starts. I would have picked Maguire. I thought you were going to pick somebody different, actually. Well, Sheffield United are bottom of the table. Yeah, but Victor Lindelof's fully fit. So you're telling I, me that your man is relegated to the bench I for Harry Maguire? I, I, uh, yeah, and I'll tell you my reason behind that, because I would save him for... I don't think Victor Lindelof, with what happened in Belgium, his head would be fully on his shoulders. Yeah. Psychologically. So, now I would stick with Harry Maguire, simply because it's Sheffield United. He played for Sheffield United, didn't he? I think so, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just Harry couldn't Maguire. give it to him now, could you? No, there had to be no, excuses no. and terrorist attacks and stuff. Stick for him Harry in, like, but stick him in. Okay, fair enough. I think Harry Maguire would start. I think that he's seen it in the Brentford game that Maguire is quite strong and with Varane. I think if Varane wasn't fit, he would reconsider it. I think Maguire needs a Varane just to settle his head a bit. But then, I suppose right side of centre back, is there anybody else? Yeah. It's Rafi Varane. The right back? Now you see, if he has Rahelion back in fifth... Oh, Dallow. Do you think Dallow starts over your boy, Victor Lindelof? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'd say Dallow too. Yeah. But again, the back line, you're picking it and it's like... I don't know, there is no room, room for discussion. It feels like a pick in the set. You just know who's going to start because who else are you going to play? You know, Rahelion's the only fit left back he plays. Dallow's the only fit right back I really plays. think that he will pick um, a centre-back partnership of Maguire and Evans tomorrow. And not play for on? No. Because he needs to win in Copenhagen. He needs. He, he needs, needs to, to win, win in Copenhagen. He does. Do you know what? That's a very shrewd pick. I'm going to say that he plays for on because he's not really one for dropping people to the bench. But if Maguire and Evans turned out, then fair play. Well called. Well, that would be my pick. I wouldn't. I wldn't um, I wouldn't risk for on because that match against Copenhagen is going to be huge. Now, this will be more interesting. Does he go with a midfield three? 
and I mean a midfield three is in holding midfielder with a right side of midfield centre midfielder and a left side centre midfielder or does he stick with a 4-2-3-1 does he play two holding midfielders again like he did with Cass and Amrabat he might and if that's the case I would go with Amrabat and Scott McTominay no way yeah what if he's going to stick about Amrabat McTominay Mount midfield God, if he's going to stick Bruno Fernandes out in the right, then yes. You think the Scott t- starts tomorrow? I, I think, <laughs> I think there's a high possibility. Yes, I do. The hero of Brentford. He's not going to play against Copenhagen. And he holds midfield. No, not so much as hold midfielder. I think Amrabat will hold by himself. Okay. I think Scott will be employed further up the pitch. Okay. Right. And, and that's if he's, and I think he will play Fernandez out, out on the right. I think he plays Amrabat mount. And I tell you, I wouldn't go for the four two three one. I think tomorrow is the first time we're going to see him where I actually Sorry, put him four three three. I'm I'm not saying four two three one. I'm saying I don't think Scott McTominay's going to hold with Amrabat. I think Scott McTominay can be employed, employed further so like up the, the left pitch. Side of a three. Yes. I think so too. I think tomorrow is going to be the first time you're going to see that uh, there's going to be one holding midfielder in mm. for two central midfielders. And I think those two central midfielders would be Mason Mount and Bruno Fernandes. But you're putting Scott McTominay on the left and Mount on the right then. Yeah. That, well, that's okay. what I would do. Because I know it's I know Sheffield um, United's at home, but I think he'd, he'll just go with Amrabat. I mean, people turn around and say at times, you shouldn't be picking your formations based on one player or one player's form. But these... They talked about Bruno Fernandes in that press conference and Erton Hag says, oh, he plays off the right for Portugal and he's an accomplished right winger. He doesn't. He plays as the right side of a central midfield three. And when he's played that wee bit deeper and he's able to control midfield with a winger ahead of him, he's also brilliant at finding whoever plays on the right wing ahead of him. Mm. So I suppose that leads me in then to who you think is going to play right wing. I personally will go first here. I think it's Palestri. I don't think Palestri put a foot wrong in that game the other night against Brazil. You're talking top-class opposition, really hostile environment, a must-win for Uruguay in that match, and he played 88 minutes for Bielsa, and they beat Brazil. How can you deny the lot? But no, you're, I can see it. You're no, pick. I picked Bruno Fernandes out in that right wing. So Anthony hasn't got a chance of starting? I don't think so. Neither do I. I, I don't, don't see so. what the lad has I done. I think he would be up to, to speed anyway. But, but he's been a carrying team now, because he hasn't been called by Brazil. It, I think that you, you always have to have one eye in this match, this European match. So players, the team needs to be rotated. Players need to be used. And it's a good opportunity. And I'm not really belittling Sheffield United, but it's Sheffield United. Do you think then off the back of that, sorry, we'll finish the teams first. So the centre forward, is he fit? He wasn't asked in the press conference, was he fit? He did take a knock at the end of that Denmark game. Fit or not, I would pick Marshall. <laughs> no, I'm not having it. I'm not. That's where I draw the line. Anthony Marshall. Yeah. Why? Why not? He's a centre forward. Because he can't score. Right. I'll put a bet on with you now. He'll pick, <laughs> he'll pick Marshall and Marshall will score at least two goals tomorrow. Because, and here's my logic, right? That's a big Everybody's call. calling, yes I know, and everybody's calling for Marcus Rashford for, to be dropped for tomorrow's game. I wouldn't drop Rashford. I would play Martial and Rashford against Sheffield United. And I'll tell you why. Sheffield United are going to sit deep. 
right? Mm-hmm. They have to. They've, they're decimated with injuries, right? But they will sit deep anyway. Anthony Martial can hold the ball up, can play with his back to goal, can find players. That and thing. it will... Re- yeah, but hear me out. And it will give him an opportunity to rest Hoyland. Two reasons why I think that doesn't happen. Probably not. I agree, he can play with his back to goal and he can hold the ball up. I don't know where you got your two goals from. He can't, in my opinion, he cannot score goals, that lad. And also, he can't play 90 minutes. If you're starting him, you're bringing Hoyland on at some point. So would he not bring, I think he starts Hoyland and then brings Marshall on once the job's done. Yeah. Hoyland from the start, Marshall will come on. I know you have a soft spot for Anthony Marshall and the way that he plays football and you find it exciting. I did too for a long while. But you just have to take a stern look at his goal scoring abilities and realise the lad is, I don't know what he is. He's a left winger that was converted to a forward who's not a very good forward but can't play the left wing anymore. So he's a bit of a conundrum. Yeah, I know I know what you're saying and he's not consistent but he's, his inconsistency comes from injuries. He, he can't yeah. get a proper run at games but I think that in order to raise players that Ten Hag might start Anthony Marshall tomorrow well, it would be interesting to see that's the entire purpose of this because you get a call you want so I'm going Hoyland so you have Bruno on the right I have Palestri if Hoyland up front you have Marshall we agreed on the back line our midfields are different Yeah. you've got McTominay in I'm putting Mount ok left wing um, Rashford has to be Rashford has to play him he was well, very good Marshall for playing Rashford yeah because they do have a telepathy they in terms abso- of those two. Absolutely. Uh, they have a good understanding. They have a good partnership. They, they could have had a phenomenal partnership. Yeah. Apart from... Injury spoiler. Yeah. And, well, injury is a Mourinho, to be, in my opinion. Do you think? Would you lay the blame at Mourinho's door? Yes, I would. 100%. Because I'll tell you why. He played one against the other. He wouldn't play the two lads together. No, he tried to make Very them fight rarely. for the four spot. yeah. And I don't know how anyone looked at Marcus Rashford and thought you could leave the line for Manchester No. Yet. Like, I love Rashford. I, I, he's one of my favorite Manchester United players. Yeah. I love the lad. I think he's brilliant, but he's not a centre forward. No. He's an off the wing inside forward. And he's a counter attacking footballer. I think he's a front foot footballer. But yes, okay. Okay. And I think once Manchester United get up ahead of themselves, and you see Rashford being able to get the ball out quickly to him when he's one on one with the fullback, and he's not able to be doubled up on because we're so bad. I think that's when you'll really see the best. Score prediction tomorrow. 3-1 United. You think they'll score? If Onana's in goal, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible to say, but yeah, now that you put it like that, I think it'll be I think it'll be closer. I think it'll be 2-1. Sheffield United are dogged and gritty and yeah, but they not are... particularly nice. I don't think it's going to be an interesting no, game. No, it's not. It's, it's going to be a horrible game. Yeah. I, I predict a, a really horrible game and a hard watch. Um, and well, Sheffield United have some key players out. Which is disappointing because if any Manchester United game is on at 8 o'clock on a Saturday, it's prime viewing. It's working week has finished, sit down and whatever you're into, have a cup of tea or have a few tins or whatever your tipple tends oh, to be. See, 8 o'clock at night, get to the pub early. Yeah, perfect time to watch yeah. a football match. But I do think that this one would be a bit of a damp squib. I think, think it's going to be particularly entertaining. It's probably going to be a cracker now. It probably will. Do you know what? Every time that I make one Martial with a hat-trick. Bold predictions recently, it tends to bite me in the ass. So maybe that's the key. Maybe I'll just come on to the podcast every week and say, do you know what? I think the game's going to be shit. And then we'll get cracker after cracker. I did turn around and make a fool of myself with the Scott McComedy comments and said that he has no place in Manchester United and then he went and did what he did. 
the wee technical nick off the bench. So look, it is what it is. Coincidental as well, <laughs> especially the comments I made. I think it was tongue in cheek at the time. Who do you think is going to be the standout performer tomorrow? Who do you expect a performance from? Oh, I think Mason Mount. He's overdue, isn't he? Very. Yeah, I think he will. I think he, he could. This tomorrow's game, he has the potential to run that midfield, especially with Bruno Fernandez. If he plays Bruno Fernandez out on the right. Yeah, I think for me, I'm going to cheat a bit because it's a combination that I think is going to really come away from this game and I think that is going to be Amrabat and Mount. I think the two lads weren't on international duty. You know, they've been at Carrington, they're bound up and going over drill after yeah. drill after drill. It's the perfect time to get some behind closed doors chemistry going. And I think those two, because of their energy and because of their passing abilities and their ability to run with the ball and get forward, could be electric. Yeah. And I think against Sheffield United, you're kind of against opposition where you, you'll be allowed chances to show your quality. So I'm expecting those two to come away as the standout. That the combination, the play and um, the combinations between the two of them to be the standout for that performance tomorrow. Who do you think will struggle? It's Sheffield United, so it's kind of hard to pick out. But if you had to pick one... Harry Maguire. <laughs> I think this suits Maguire. Nailed on. No, he's got back to his old... I'll bet you... Any money against Ollie McBurney? Huge mistake in Harry Maguire tomorrow. No, not against McBurney. Yeah. If you had somebody with pace coming at him, Archer has a bit of pace and stuff, but he's not a great finisher. If there was somebody with pace up front and United were playing the high line and Sheffield United get in behind us, yes. But Ollie McBurney would struggle to beat Harry Maguire in a foot race. McBurney is in there for them to whip the ball in for headers and knockdowns and stuff, and that is Harry Maguire's bread and butter. He's not going to get beat there. What do you seem conceited? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to sit in the fence. Famous last words. Yep. I'm going to put my opinion out there. Harry Maguire has a good game tomorrow. Who do I think will struggle? Bruno. Right. I don't think... I think once again you're going to see Bruno Fernandes try to figure out his place in the new Luck United and struggle with it. I just don't see where he fits in it. I, I said in the last one, and I sort of put the neck out there and says... Bruno Fernandes does not suit our Tanahic system. I'm sticking with that. As the system evolves and develops, I just don't see where he plays. Unless we drop Mount and we let Bruno play as the 10. But if Mount is in the same team as... Sorry, I should rephrase that. If Mount is in the same team as Bruno, Bruno struggles. If he somehow doesn't play Mount, you can see the Bruno that we're used to. Because he'd be allowed to play as the 10 and take up those positions. It'll be interesting to see who he selects, especially with the games next week. Yeah. But... That is always time. We will be back tomorrow night to give a bit of post-match analysis, which will be a late one. So it'll be very quick, but still a reaction to what we see on the football pitch, which hopefully is a positive one. But if you have the time, give us a wee rating on Spotify there. It's out on Spotify and you might have seen us on Instagram. Follow the page for updates for new podcasts coming out. And feel free to send me a direct message. Now, folks, anybody that's listening, just give me your feedback. Give me your critiques. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. But we'll talk again tomorrow. Bye, everyone.